Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am the host of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. No matter where you are in the world, I want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your day to hear my thoughts. As always, we have a great show for you today. Now here are our topics. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. Sorry, it's been a few days since we last spoke, but sometimes life comes up and you just got to roll with it. I am trying to, trying to catch up on most of the issues that were missed in the political world since we last spoke. Primarily speaking, the first thing that needs to be addressed is the Iowa caucus. My last episode came out on February 1st. Iowa caucus happened on February 3rd. So let's talk about what happened on the Iowa caucus right after this break. everyone let's talk about the Iowa caucuses what exactly is the Iowa caucus is the question that I kept asking myself when I was first trying to get studied up on this 2020 primary season I'd always heard of the Iowa caucus before but I didn't actually know what it was exactly so I tried to do my best to educate myself and the more that I learned about it the less it made sense to me so basically on top of all of the you know issues that some people can have with just getting registered to vote, which depending on which state you live in can be more or less of an issue. Some states not an issue at all. So I don't really know off my off the top of my head how much of an issue it is in Iowa. But after you go through the process of getting registered, then you have to show up to this to a site in your neighborhood or somewhere in your state, and you have to Go to this local place, whether it's like a school gymnasium or some old building, whatever the case may be, and it's going to be held on a weekday night. It's like a Monday night, I think this was held on, and you basically sit there for hours at a time debating with people inside of this gym about whether or not they should vote with you or not. And then if your candidate doesn't get at least 15% of the people that show up to this particular location, then you have to automatically switch and vote for someone else? Like, you have to? Unless you can pull together 15% of people who decide that they just don't want to vote for anyone left at all, so they can be, quote-unquote, uncommitted? Okay, that's, that's not strange whatsoever. So the question really becomes, is like, why would you have that set up like this? Like, how does that benefit anyone in particular? I mean, at the end of the day, if you showed up there wanting to vote for Tulsi Gabbard, for instance, or for Tom Steyer, and you didn't get to your 15% threshold because you just didn't have 15 people with you in a group full of 100, then at that point in time, you were forced to vote for somebody else? Like, how does that make any sense? But let's move on from that, because let's just all agree that that makes no sense whatsoever, that your voice just can't be heard at that precinct. So then, after that, then basically what happens is, like, on top of the whole issue of being forced to vote for somebody you might not want to vote for, then Iowa decided to change its voting format this time around, essentially making that so, like, certain delegates had higher weights than other delegates. 
So from what I was able to understand was that, skipping ahead to the end here, Bernie Sanders was able to come out with the most votes in Iowa, but he did not win the most delegates. And they justified this by saying that some counties, their delegates just had a higher weight than delegates in other areas. And when you broke down the map, it seemed as though that the rural counties were given a higher delegate number than metro area delegates. So basically what they were saying was that rural voters had a higher weight than urban voters in Iowa. Now, is that really a fair process? And, and let's just be fair for a second here. I know we're picking on Iowa here in this moment, or rather I'm picking on Iowa. There's only like five caucus states left in America. Can someone please explain to Iowa that they should just be a primary like everybody else? Most people show up to a ballot box, check who they want on a piece of paper or on a computer screen, and then they leave and they get on with their day. Not having to spend four hours in a room trying to convince people to vote the way they want them to, and then they may not be able to vote for who they want to vote for, and then their vote may be counted less than somebody else across the state. Okay, that, 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 that makes total sense. But let's get back to the weight issue, the weighted voting. So basically, after Hillary Clinton lost the election in 2016, and the mainstream media spent three and a half years talking about the popular vote, the popular vote, the popular vote, the popular vote. Then, after consistently complaining about the fact that we should have presidents be elected by popular vote versus the Electoral College, and their reasoning for it was, was that, essentially, there were rural voters in America whose votes counted more than urban voters, because states like Wyoming essentially had more of a weight volume than people in California because of how the Electoral College is set up. So rural voters counted more in the total votes than urban voters. And so they were saying that we shouldn't have the Electoral College because it disproportionately favors one set of Americans over the other. That was their argument. And then the Democratic Party of Iowa turns around and creates a system that favors rural voters over urban voters. How does that make any sense? How does it make any sense as a party to essentially bash the Electoral College and then create, essentially, a very similar system in your own state? That makes no sense. There's no consistent logic to that. It just, it, I guess it was just a coincidence that just so happened to negatively impact Bernie Sanders. I guess that just was a coincidence. But we, we digress. So here is the outcome of the Iowa caucus. Because of the delegate math that was weighted for rural voters, Pete Buttigieg, who got less votes than Bernie Sanders, was able to declare himself the winner. Didn't happen outright, though. Because they weren't able to get this, this issue sorted out right away. For whatever reason, the night of the caucus, they couldn't declare a voter, as many people probably remember. And they took an entire day 
just to release partial votes. And when they release partial votes, they only release the counties in which they, for some reason, were able to show that Buttigieg was ahead, even though they had the results from basically every county, which many precinct captains from all over the state were kind of like publishing their records on Twitter and online because they couldn't even get through to the people at the state capital of Iowa to tell them what their results were. So you had people all over the state who were counting votes of their precincts and they were giving their results to the Democratic Party of Iowa. And I was supposed to be putting out these results for the rest of the country to see. But for some reason, even though they had the votes sent into them, they weren't releasing them. And in the meantime, with the partial results that were released, Pete Buttigieg was able to say like, hey, look at from the results that have been released. We are winning right now. And he just automatically decided to declare victory in Iowa. And you say to yourself, well, that's not that big of a deal. Why shouldn't he be happy about it? He looked like he was ahead and he was ahead. Well, the problem is that the media just went and ran with this and basically just declared Pete was the winner before all the results even came out. And what ended up happening was he had a major spike in the polls because of it. And I just think that that's a little unfair to basically, before all the news came out, for one candidate to declare victory and then get a surge from it. Because before that poll came out, or before those fractured results came out, Pete Buttigieg, for instance, was polling at like 10% in New Hampshire. And after two and a half days of Pete claiming victory in a race that hadn't officially been called, his poll numbers went up into the 20%. So he went up by more than 10 points in the next process, in the New, in the New Hampshire primary, just by declaring victory in a race that hadn't actually been called yet. So it just didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. I thought it was very shady on the Iowa Democratic Party's part. They consistently claimed that nothing nefarious was going on, even though reports came out later that the issue that they were having was with an app, an app that was called Shadow. I think that probably should have been their first key that the app probably shouldn't be used. You probably shouldn't use an app called Shadow that's going to you know, help determine elections just seems like a bad look, but what, what, you know, I guess people don't think about optics really. But speaking of optics, this app company called Shadow took a $40,000 donation from Pete Buttigieg's campaign a few months ago. And it just seemed to be coincidentally that right after that, Pete Buttigieg seems to be the direct kind of what you would call this here. The, he seems to be the direct beneficiary of the app malfunctioning. Now, that's, you know, it's, it's a little reaching there, but I think it is worth trying to look into why exactly this app just all of a sudden didn't work. I mean, questions need to be asked essentially why you had a situation where they decided to use an app for the first time ever in counting these votes. And it was not necessary. They just decided to do it. They didn't stress test the app whatsoever to see if it could handle, you know, an, an election night. And the entire thing just crashed. And everything just kind of went to hell. 
For a long time there, for a few days afterwards, people were calling for Tom Perez, the head of the Democratic National Committee, to step down because of how much of a disaster this all was. He said there was no way he was stepping down. So it sounded like people wanted some kind of retribution for all of this happening. So instead of him stepping down, it was just seemingly coincidental that a couple days later that the head of the Iowa Democratic Party actually stepped down. So all things considered, this entire Iowa caucus was a mess. That's pretty much what this all boils down to. The whole thing was a mess. The person who won the most votes somehow came in second, you know, because that, that's the way math works. And Pete Buttigieg got to win the amount of delegates, and he got the really good media coverage. And it seemed like all should be well, right? Going into the world, Pete Buttigieg seems like he's surging. People get to talk about how Bernie Sanders couldn't win in Iowa, how the turnout wasn't up compared to 2016. The Iowa caucus was a disaster. In my opinion, I don't understand personally. I know this has been a topic of conversation. Everyone talks about why is Iowa the first state that goes in the election process every four years. I legitimately question that myself. You know, a lot of people talk about how it should be a state that is more representative of the Democratic base, somewhere that has more people of color. I don't know that that necessarily matters as much, but what I do think is that a larger state should have a say from the beginning. And I do think that a primary state should have a state from the should have a stake in the beginning. And I'm also not a you know I'm not a fan of having the same states be in the forefront of American politics like this every election cycle. Why exactly is it that only Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina get this continuous coverage every four years? That makes no sense to me. I think there should be a rotating states that you would have every so every like election cycle. I mean, why can't it be that next, you know, like in 2024, instead of Iowa, New Hampshire, you know, um, Nevada and South Carolina, why can't it be Oregon, Arizona, Arkansas and Virginia? I know I just threw four random states out there, but like the, the question really becomes down to the fact of like every state holds elections. So every state is, you know, like geared to handle an election, obviously. So why does it matter which states go first and why not put them on a rotation? The benefit to having, you know, these states go first is that they get this crazy media coverage, as well as the fact that you have these politicians in those states for basically a year on end before the election, which draws more attention to what's happening in the states, as well as the issues that those states are facing, and it allows for some more scrutiny for issues that aren't being resolved, and you can put praise on things that have been resolved. And I feel like there are so many states that would benefit from having that level of coverage, especially states that don't get a whole lot of national shine to begin with, because they are states that normally get overlooked. I'm a big proponent that other states in the future should be these first four, maybe even a first five. There's no reason why there can't be five or six states that go in February other than just four. But let's shake up this system because in all honesty, the Iowa caucus has proved one thing to me. 
this time around. Caucuses are dead. They don't make any sense. In an era where we're talking about voter equality and making it easier for people to vote, having people meet up in a gymnasium for hours on end and saying that some voters are more important than other voters, and then using technology that we haven't tested in order to try to create results that aren't actually true, this whole process is a sham. Let's get somebody else in there. Let's get another state in there to do this job, and Iowa can take a break. They've been the head of our election cycle for decades now. Let Iowa take a break. Let another state have the attention in the spotlight. Let's move away from the Iowa caucus. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode, Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Hello, everyone. Welcome back from the break. I just wanted to take this final segment here to address one of the conversation pieces I keep getting on Twitter when I message people. Uh, One of the things that people keep talking about is some of the information that I come up with and where do I get my information from. So a lot of the information I get, I piece together from several sources. I'm kind of one of those people who is constantly absorbing the news. Sometimes I think to myself I'm probably absorbing too much of it. I try to watch many different platforms. Like I find myself sometimes watching MSNBC, CNN, and Fox. Yes, I I will watch CNN and Fox. I'm one of those weirdos. However, I get a bulk of my information from two places in particular. Uh, On the lesser front, I do find myself watching some TYT occasionally, the Young Turks. 
You can find them online on YouTube. Just type in TYT or The Young Turks. But I get most of my information from a show called Rising. Now, Rising is a, also a YouTube show that is produced by The Hill. So The Hill is a national publication that many people have heard of. They started a web-based television show back in 2018. I discovered them last summer. So around June of 2019, I was just randomly on YouTube and I just happened to come across one of their videos. I watched it. At first I was like really interested because they were talking about issues that you just normally don't hear people talk about on the news. And they were also giving what I felt like were really fair critiques, which you also don't normally hear in the mainstream media, whether that is on left or right mainstream media. So I just kept watching and a couple weeks into it, I actually subscribed to them, which is kind of a big deal for me because I don't subscribe to too many things on YouTube. I think I may have like seven or eight things I'm subscribed to. So... The thing I like about it is Rising is set up where you have a two panelists, or two co-hosts rather. One is named Crystal Ball, and she is a progressive left-leaning host. And then you have her co-host, Sagar Antonjeti, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. And he is a conservative host. And now the two of them are on opposite sides of the political spectrum, Yet they definitely agree with the fact that the establishments of the Republican and Democratic parties are both broken. And so they come together on the fact that both sides of the aisle need to change their approach to politics. And they constantly talk about that. And they have great guests on all the time. And they have lots of Washington insiders who come onto their show. And they're constantly following what's going on in the news they put shows out every single day monday through friday and they do them in nice little like seven to ten minute clips so get about like five or six of these a day of just like seven to ten middle seven to ten minute segments about what's going on in the world so i normally try to catch most of this stuff every single day that they come out monday through friday so i encourage all of you to go onto youtube and look for rising and check out Crystal Ball and Sagar and Tangeti. They're great hosts, and their show is phenomenal. And I hope that you all will give more independent voices like theirs and mine the love that they deserve because the mainstream media is just not always on our side. everyone that is our show for today i want to thank you all for checking out indie thought independent thought is brought to you by your host desmond price you can follow us on twitter at independent thought or at indie i-n-d-e thought so again thank you all for coming and hanging out with me for those of you who found me on iTunes or on Spotify, please go ahead and subscribe to us. Give us a five-star rating. If you give us a four-star rating, I'm inclined to think you're a hater, so don't hate. 
Thank you so much, and I hope to see you all next time.